0: bow, welcome back. It is the talk. God, what are we? What is this? The TPS podcast. Uh, this is the philosopher. Oh man, hey, eh? rough one so far. Uh, welcome back to the Philosopher's Stone podcast. This is Jordan Strauss, your captain speaking, and my um, below deck engineer. <laughs> he works mostly on the boilers. We have Sam Laboon. How you
1: doing? Give, giving her all she's got, captain. Giving her all she's got. Okay, fuck yeah. <laughs>
0: Put more coal on the on the on the on the embers. Uh, let's get this thing rolling. That was my bad. I completely fucked up that intro, but it's okay because today's episode
1: is all about forgiveness, right, Sam? Um, no, but uh, <laughs> it's not. But um, a philosopher did just get like a million dollar grant for some sort of project about forgiveness. Which is a lot of money. Oh, my God.
0: Million dollars. And people are talking shit about Jeff Bezos going to space. This guy's getting a million dollars to talk about forgiveness. That's a lot of money for a philosopher. (laughs) Yeah. It's a lot of money for anyone.
1: Yeah. 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 But anyway, yeah, Jeff Bezos. I watched that launch, eh? His launch. You did, huh? Yeah. Not very impressive, honestly. Not very impressive. They didn't actually get that high. Apparently, they didn't get high enough that you could actually see the Earth like as a globe. Oh really? It's not is that even space then? It's technically space but it's not like it's not like going to get you so high where you like look down and you have like that what do they call that effect like the the earth effect or something where you like
0: where like the the astronauts can see the whole planet and then realize that like we're completely doomed to kill ourselves because we have
1: no actual perception of how small we are and how alone we are. <laughs> yeah, like, like did they realize, like, oh shit, like this this thing's all connected, but uh, we'll never understand that. <laughs> well, shit, man, didn't Felix Baumgartner like jump
0: out at that height? Like, could, 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 if you can jump out of your spacecraft and like parachute down, were you really in space?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, technically, they did cross like some theoretical line that is the demarcation. Yeah, but it's not like one of the people on the rocket was like not very impressed.
0: Oh shit! Oh my god, he got a bad Yelp review on his first <laughs> flight to Spain. <laughs> yeah, seriously, I would be pretty uh, disappointed, right? Because he had citizens on his on on the flight, right? Just some rich people, or was that
1: the Virgin Airlines guy? So far, everyone who has been on that rocket has been on it because they paid a lot of money. Except maybe one of them, this woman named Wally Funk. I don't think she bought her way on. She was a woman who tried to become an astronaut a long time ago but failed. Now she's like the oldest person to be in space. What do you think about that, Eleanor? Tell us what you think about that.
0: All well, right. Well, <laughs> there you have it, folks. Um, did they get weightlessness at least? Like did they achieve like low gravity or no?
1: Yeah, they did they did get zero gravity, but uh I think they're only at zero gravity for like a two minutes or something really short.
0: Yeah, if I'm going to pay to go to space, I want to be like in fucking space, all right? I don't want to be like, I don't want Red Bull to be able to sponsor me. Like I want, it it has to be like, this is intergalactic stuff, not intergalactic. This is galactic. I want to say I've been to space. I don't want to say I went like too high on a hot air balloon or some shit, right? I want to be able to be
1: like, okay, I saw space. You wanna to go to the International Space Station. That's what you want to do. Yeah. Yes. That's legit. I wanna be an astronaut. Yeah.
0: Is it too late for me to pivot in my career to take that path
1: of being an astronaut? It was too late from the minute you were born, honestly. Like uh. <laughs> you, you, you just don't you just don't have the uh the genetic layout that you need. <laughs> they don't need any space comedians out there, you
0: know? <laughs> You know, just to live, lighten up the mood up there.
1: <laughs> the minute you decided that, like, you weren't going to be into really into math and science and physical fitness, it was that was hey, it was over. I didn't decide that; <laughs> God decided that. All right, yeah, exa- exactly. <laughs> I would have loved to be good at math. <laughs> yeah, no, man, it's crazy to be an astronaut. You have to be like the the absolute cream of the crop in terms of like keeping keeping cool in a crisis. Yeah. And even if
0: you are the best of the best, I'm sure there's still some like politicking going on that like you got to know someone or you got to like someone has to like you specifically that's in power. Mm. Like, I feel like there's very few true meritocracies when it comes to like desirable careers like that.
1: I think being an astronaut might be one of the few. You think so? It's serious business becoming an astronaut. Like, like it doesn't. I don't think it really matters who you know. It matters like. Can you perform like the stuff? The training they have to go through is ridiculous. But
0: you got to think of you got to think of how many people want to be astronauts. It's a stereotype that every kid wants to be an astronaut, right? Like there's so much competition. Like there's got to be thousands and thousands of qualified applicants. There has to be some, some something going on where whoever gets to go. I just I honestly start to believe I'm I, I kind of believe meritocracies are. A myth where everybody like you or you get the position the best man gets the job or woman or
1: whatever the fuck you want to be what about you does that apply does that apply to you It applies to everyone like uh like for your stand up gigs, are you saying that you're not getting those because of merit no <laughs> that's not what I'm saying, okay,
0: but I mean, you've been in comedy long enough to know that there's it's not a meritocracy,
1: yeah, at a certain point, yeah, yeah,
0: like very 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 funny people will hit a hit, hit a cap of how far they can go unless they schmooze with the right people mm-hmm. and people that aren't very funny get huge deals <laughs> and there's a reason for that mm. yeah i can think of a few <laughs> <laughs> i can think of a few too where you're like how the fuck did you get a show like or a special when i see people funnier than this person like on a weekly basis mm. Uh, It's it's ridiculous, and there's any entertainment's going to have the most of that going on. I feel like any the entertainment industry in general has to like tick off all these boxes because it's well, essentially we aren't necessary. So,
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah.
0: So if they can pick whoever appeases the most people, they'll do that, even if it dilutes the actual quality of the content.
1: Yeah, like I'm sure there's like
0: some networking involved in becoming an astronaut, like. That's probably
1: true.
0: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is that I think you need to know like there are, like, there are so many people on the planet, and there's got to be a lot of people that are, are qualified to do the job, but don't know the right people, aren't at the right in front of the right people at the right time, didn't shake the right hands. <laughs> they got to make more spaceships so everybody can get up there. It's called space. We should have room for all of us.
1: You know what I'm saying? That's true. But, but do you think that networking shouldn't come into it at all? It should just be about like passing tests or something like that.
0: So here's the thing using like comedy again, as an example, you got to look at like, once you start having to look at it, if you get to the level where you're like, Hey, I want to like get, make a go at this and try and make some money at this. And you start, you have to start shifting your perspective from artist to businessman, as in the people that are putting on the shows to make money that aren't comedians. they, Know that people will buy tickets whether it's the funniest comedian on the planet or not, right? They could, if they know they can sell out a venue, they don't need it to be the funniest fucking person alive, right? Oh yeah. What they do need is someone who will get the job done, as in people will leave happy mm-hmm. and be professional. So you could have the funniest fucking guy on the planet, but if he's like super unprofessional, showing up late, doesn't take it seriously. Talk shit to the crowd, it doesn't matter because now you're getting uh, the, the business side is getting affected, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, it, in like comedy specifically, it, it attracts a lot of, I guess, people with issues, put it lightly. <laughs> and some of those people with issues are really, really good at comedy, but really, really bad at being reliable and professional. So, they get hit, they usually they get stuck at a level a lot of the times even though they're way funnier than the guy who's getting the deal.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, well, I guess yeah, that's where it's different from being an astronaut. Like if you have any sort of issues, like you're disqualified immediately.
0: Yeah, you don't have like the fucking <laughs> alcoholic bad boy astronaut that no.
1: needs a second chance. <laughs> no. I'll get it right this this time. I'll I'll open the hatch. I'll get it right this time. <laughs> like, I'll pressurize yeah. it first. Yeah. I don't have any drugs on me. I'm clean, man, I'm clean. Let me up there. <laughs> oh man, it's insane the training they have to do. Like they have to like live at the bottom of the ocean for like two weeks or something, like in a decompression chamber. Like, it's nuts. See, right then and there, I'm out of the running. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so crazy because it's like if you think about it, like they're in space, so like every even like a simple task is like becomes incredibly complicated and dangerous
0: Yeah. your muscles atrophy. Yeah. Ah, oh, man. See, I wish I could pay to go to space for like a weekend. That would be amazing.
1: Mm, yeah, to the space hotel.
0: Yeah. Yes, the space yeah. hotel. <laughs> Got to be careful with those things. The, the technology isn't perfected
1: yet. <laughs> could get you in a lot of trouble. Yeah. Like I was watching um, these videos about like cave diving, mm-hmm. which seems like similar to going to space in some ways. And it's insane, like just how... A simple thing going wrong can kill you. Like there was this one where this guy he dove down. He was trying to recover a body, eight hundred and ninety feet down this underwater cave. Mm -hmm. And so you're so deep that the you have to have like the special mixture of gases to breathe because the pressure is so different. Right. And the problem is that you're so deep that just like the act of like swimming slowly across the bottom of the cave is like doing a full-on aerobic workout on the surface. Damn. So this guy, he like he's trying to put this body into a body bag, and then he gets tangled up in his own line. And the act of untangling himself from his own line caused so much exertion that he passed out and died.
0: Ah, uh, now you got two bodies. Wow, so <laughs> glad we wanted to go down there and get that body. Like, I understand that... Recovering a body that's died like that is important to the loved ones and the family. The parents were there waiting for him to come up with it. Oh, God. (laughs) Yeah. But at some point, like in certain situations, like in that one, I would say, like, sorry, but it's a water funeral. Like, he's gone. (laughs) Like, you can't recover that body.
1: Don't send in some poor bastard to try and recover a body. No, he's dead too. The crazy thing is, is that he had already been down there before and found the body and then went back up and was like look there's a body down there we have to plan another dive to get it Ugh. so he had all, he had successfully gone to the bottom but the difference was that when he successfully went to the bottom the first time he didn't have any tasks that he had to perform right just adding that one little task was enough to like make it like exponentially more dangerous and so that's like being an astronaut like just one little task
0: i'd rather go to space than then go, like, the deep, deep ocean is, I feel like it's more deadly than space
1: in a way. No way. No, 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 no. I don't I don't think so. What? Well, I think so. so. Help is, help is so far, like, this guy, he had, he could have had help, right? He had a guy about 100 feet above him who could have helped him, but they just didn't have the right coordination. In space, like, no one's going to help you. No one can hear you scream. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um... So, what are we talking about this week? Let's quit the chit chat. Let's get into it. Where's your segue? Uh, You needed a a swag way.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Something to cause us to change course would have been helpful. Oh, my God. Um, Yeah. So, basically, (laughs) I thought it would be cool if we did like a sort of like a series of episodes on the history of the philosophy of causation. Sure. So, basically, this is um, we're going to start with. Aristotle, his views on causation. Episode one. Episode one. And then we're going to go through all the way up to Hume, who launched the brutal assault on causation.
0: God damn it. This guy's like, <laughs> he is the emperor, like the, the dark lord of
1: philosophy, this David Hume guy. Oh, yeah, he is. <laughs> and then we're going to talk about um, Immanuel Kant's sort of famous response to Hume on causation. And then maybe we'll conclude with some modern philosophy of causation. Word. Yeah. So we're starting with Aristotle today. Starting with Aristotle, yeah. So Aristotle, everybody's heard of him, but what what what, what do we know about his life? You aristotle me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right. Yeah, so he was born in 384 BC in Stegira, which was a small city in Macedonia or Macedonia. I don't Is know. Is it Macedonia? Yeah, probably Macedonia. I'm not sure how to pronounce it.
0: Macedonia sounds way more corrector. Um, (laughs) Sorry, what year was it again?
1: 384 BC.
0: God, imagine having that
1: on your driver's license. (laughs) Born 384 BC. Yeah, it'd be pretty cool. It would be. You're like, hey, I'm over 2,000 years old. What's up?
0: But they didn't say it like that back then, right? They weren't saying, 340
1: years before Christ. (laughs) Yeah, dude, that's Louis C.K.'s bit. (laughs) Oh, is it? Yeah, <laughs> he was like, "Man, there's only one year left until year zero. What the fuck is oh, going to yeah. happen?" <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: So I wonder what they were using to, to what they were saying back then.
1: Uh, I have no idea, honestly. I know, like, I know the Romans had like the Julian calendar and, and shit like that, but I don't know if they were keeping track of years. It's a good question. Yeah, they're all
0: riding that. The Mayans were the only ones with calendars back then, so they just kind of followed
1: that one for a while yeah i I have no idea honestly like what they said in terms of years. like that's a good question. Well, beside the point though yeah so, so anyway, um so when Aristotle was seventeen, his parents sent him to Athens to study at Plato's academy, and he remained there until Plato died, which was in three forty seven b c
0: so he went there at seven years old? Seventeen. Oh, sorry. Yeah, okay.
1: Yeah. And then after Plato died, he moved to a city called Assos, which is in uh, modern-day Turkey. And he studied philosophy and marine biology. Oh, it's a guy after my, guy after my own heart.
0: Wow. They go hand in hand, really. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever seen an, an octopus teacher? My
1: octopus teacher. He would have loved that shit. Dude, I... <laughs> I've, I've, I, was, I got too affected by it. I had to turn it off like halfway through. Really? I was like, oh my God, this octopus is going to die in this movie. And I don't think I'm ready for that. <laughs> you,
0: you're not great at finishing the real hard-hitting shit on Netflix, eh? Hey? No. <laughs> you didn't finish Bo Burnham special. You didn't finish My Octopus Teacher. Both equally as
1: profound to me. Look, life has enough pain. Life has enough pain. It did win the Academy Award, though, My Octopus Teacher. Best documentary. That's wild. Yep. Yeah, I know we talked
0: about it before, but I can't believe that guy's family stuck with him through that whole uh, <laughs> thing. Oh my God, what a, what a weirdo, yeah? <laughs> He's got teenage kids going through like horrific bullying and like depression at home, and they're just looking out the window at their dad diving in the ocean again to go hang out with this octopus. <laughs> yeah, his family's probably
1: really fucking annoying.
0: We need you on land, honey. Uh, I gotta do some studying with my
1: friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he doesn't want to be be bogged down by family troubles, like go for a swim. Man. Yeah.
0: He just vented
1: to this octopus. <laughs> My fucking family, man. You're so lucky you die after you have off <sighs> I've got to live with him. Brutal. Yeah.
0: <laughs> five years sounds pretty good to me. Five years, a good five years of life. That's really what we all need.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so so then uh so Aristotle uh his host, he had a host who was hosting him in Assos, and the host died. And so Aristotle moved to the island of Lesbos. Oh! Then, probably what Aristotle is most famous for, King Philip of Macedon hired Aristotle to tutor his son. Little boy went by the name Alexander. Maybe you've heard of him.
0: Yeah. Fuck off. Are you talking about Alexander the Great? The very same. Yes. Shut the fuck up. Really? Yeah. You just blew my mind. Yeah. Aristotle tutored Alexander the Great. Yes, for about seven years. Is this a common this is common knowledge obviously outside of my brain?
1: Yeah, this is well known people this is well known that he was Alexander's tutor. It's not well known how influential he was over Alexander. Wild. Yeah they don't know the details of the relationship, but he was like the official tutor to Alexander the Great. That's crazy. that, that get,
0: lends so much more like credibility in my mind to Plato. Oh, dude. Yes. Not that he doesn't get enough shine, but... (laughs) I mean, who
1: else are we talking about 2,000 years later? Like, (laughs) That's true. Jesus. Jesus, yeah. You got to be a pretty big deal to get talked about for 2,000 years.
0: Yeah. I mean, Jesus had to reach the level of deity to stay relevant. Plato's (laughs) just some dude that everybody's still quoting because he had some fire ideas.
1: He had some great (laughs) one-liners. Yeah. Yeah, okay, so after his tutelage to Alexander ended which it didn't last very long because Alexander became like a military captain at a pretty young age.
0: Yeah. He got that conquer bug pretty early. The conquer bug.
1: <laughs> yeah. So Aristotle moved to Athens in 335 BC and he set up his own school in a, literally in a public park. You just set up like a school in a public park. The school was called the Lyceum because the park was dedicated to the God Apollo Lyceos. And so in the Lyceum, the students were doing research into pretty much every single academic field. They wrote everything down. They made a big library. It was was pretty cool. But then tragedy struck, right? So less than like, maybe like 13 years after Alexander the Great goes off on his conquering campaign, Alexander the Great dies in Babylon. In 323 BC, Alexander the Great dies at the age of 33.
0: How did he die again? Wasn't
1: there some woman that got to him? <laughs> Whoa. Wasn't it? No, uh, nobody actually knows for sure. He died of poison, I think is the belief. Oh, well, from what I from what I think the theory is that his generals killed him, but I'm not sh- I'm not entirely sure. Really, but he did bang Cleopatra, didn't he? No way, that was way before his time.
0: Okay, she was around when Julius Caesar was around. Uh maybe Julius Caesar banged.
1: Oh, sorry, way after his time. Sorry, way after his
0: time. All right. Well, I got to rewrite my fan fiction novel, I guess. <laughs>
1: So you remember Alexander the Great was not a Greek. He was a Macedonian. Right. And Macedon had conquered Greece. So Macedonians were not popular in Athens. And Aristotle was himself a Macedonian. So as soon as Alexander the Great dies, if you're a Macedonian and you're in Athens, your safety is at risk. Right. So Aristotle left Athens and he supposedly famously said that he saw no reason for Athens to sin twice against philosophy. Do you know what the first sin was? What does he mean by that? So he's fleeing Athens because he doesn't want the Athenians to kill him. Right. And so if you remember, Athens, the Athenians, had also killed another famous philosopher, Socrates. Right. So Aristotle was basically saying, I see no reason for Athens to sin twice. I thought Aristotle
0: and Socrates were like boys. I thought they were alive in like the same time.
1: Um, I don't think so. Well, because supposedly the lineage goes Socrates. Socrates teaches Plato. Uh-huh. Socrates is executed by the Athenians. Right.
0: Is he the one that drunk, that had to drink the poison?
1: Yeah, sorry. I should, I should say uh, Socrates was not executed. Socrates killed himself by drinking hemlock. Right. Rather than be publicly executed. So then, but then Plato was Socrates' student. Aristotle was the student of Plato. And then Alexander the Great was the
0: student of Aristotle. Holy shit! What a great little uh, little string of dudes there.
1: Hey, (laughs) yeah, exactly. Yeah, quite the lineage. So he fled Athens and he settled on the island of Chalcis. Oh, sorry, the city of Chalcis on the island of Euboea. Which, if you're looking at a map of Greece, the island of Euboea looks like it's part of mainland Greece, but it's actually a very large island separated by a very narrow strait. And so Aristotle, he died on that island in 322 BC. I think that would make him about uh, 60, 62 years old, I think. It's a good push for back then. Yeah, not bad. That Mediterranean diet coming through strong. Yeah, a lot of olive oil. A lot of olive oil. Don't drown it. Don't oh, drown it. <laughs> Yeah, so that's uh, that's Aristotle's life basically in a nutshell. Yeah, so then we're talking about specifically today he wrote Aristotle wrote a ton of stuff in philosophy like he wrote about ethics, he invented formal logic, he wrote about the study of nature like animals. He d- he did everything. He he did a whole bunch of stuff. But today we're just going to be talking about Aristotle's views on causation. Okay. Yeah. So Aristotle, um, he thought causation was an extremely important concept. He would go so far as to say that we only have knowledge of something if we understand its cause. So we've talked about causation
0: a little bit on the podcast before, mm-hmm. but maybe give us like a, like a quick reminder of what it, even, what, it, what it means when it pertains to philosophy.
1: Okay, so for Aristotle, the cause of something is the why of something. Why does it exist? Why does it undergo changes? For example, Aristotle would say that if you want to understand a tree, you need to be able to say why the tree exists in the way that it does. Why does it grow from a seed? Why do the leaves turn brown and fall off in the autumn? If you can't answer these why questions, then you don't understand trees. So cause is like the answer to why. Why does something do what it does? Can't argue with that. (laughs) Yeah. And so, uh, so for the benefit of Aristotle, we have to remember that, you know, it's 2,000 years ago. You don't have any microscopes. You don't have any telescopes. He's pretty limited in what he knows. Right. And uh, as, as we'll see as we go through this, Aristotle's theory of causation for lots of things was very teleological. So teleological means a teleological explanation is an explanation in terms of something's proper function. So if you would ask, like, why is a knife sharp? What, what would you say? What would the teleological explanation be? Why is a knife sharp?
0: And that, uh, so why is something sharp? Why is a knife sharp? How would I answer that without the knowledge of like molecules and stuff, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah. You don't need to know molecules. Right. So I would say a knife is sharp because, fuck you, Sam. Because I just want to say like, there's all the pressure is, 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 Narrowed down to such a fine point. Think about think about the
1: proper function. What is a knife? What is a knife supposed to do? Okay, a knife is sharp because it cuts things. Exactly. It will cut. Yeah. It will kill.
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I knew. I knew you'd love this example. Okay, because I was thinking like I mean that's one way to answer it. A knife is sharp because it cuts, but mm-hmm. why does it cut? Is the next question, obviously.
1: Yeah. This is this. You're thinking like
0: Aristotle. This is perfect. People
1: tell me that all the time. All the fucking time, man. Yeah. So Aristotle starts his causal explanations of things, in a way, they start at the end, and then they work backwards. Right. So for Aristotle, the most important thing to understanding a knife is to understand what the knife is for. What is it supposed to do? It's supposed to cut. So a complete explanation for Aristotle would be that the knife is sharp because a blacksmith got a chunk of iron, forged it according to the principles of blacksmithing so that it would be sharp so that it can cut. Right. So a knife is sharp because it cuts. Yeah. So Aristotle thought that there were four different kinds of causes. And we, we actually said all four different kinds just in that little brief explanation. So we'll go over the, these four causes and then, and then we'll have a pretty good idea of it. So the first cause, or the most important cause, is the final cause. And the final cause is like, what is the purpose? Right. The second most important thing is called the efficient cause. So what was the primary force that caused the change? Sharpness. Uh, okay, well, sorry, I should, I should rephrase. Like, So Aristotle's imagining that you start with a block of iron and you end up with a knife. Okay. He's, what caused the block of iron to become a knife? Heat and pressure. Right. Heat and pressure. So, yeah, so we can say the first thing. Uh, so, the first thing we need to understand, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll work in a different way. Yeah. The first thing that you would want to know is the material cause. So, what material is undergoing the change? Iron. In this case, it's iron. Exactly. So, then the next one is the formal cause. What form or shape
0: is it supposed to be? Okay. So, it got, it's, uh, I mean, the answer to that is thin.
1: Yeah, it's long, sharp. On one edge, yeah. Then next we want to know, okay, so we know we know the, what the material was that changed. We know the form and the shape that it was supposed to become. Then the next thing we want to know is called the efficient cause. What, what is the primary force that caused the change? Um, the blacksmith. Right. Now, aerosol makes a kind of interesting distinction here and then he says that the, the primary force of change is not necessarily the blacksmith himself but the hammer <laughs> it's but it's the the blacksmith as the like embodiment of the knowledge of the art of knife making i see what he really th- wants to say is that it's like it's the knowledge of knife making that is the the primary cause and force of the change right and then the final cause is the final cause. And that is what is the purpose of the change? And the purpose is to make something that can cut. So, just from looking at that, you can see that for Aristotle, the final cause is present in all of the other causes, right? Like you could say, why is the material iron? Well, because the art of knife making requires that certain metals for making knives, and iron is one of the best materials for making sharp and cutting. Yeah. Yeah, like why is it long and sharp on one edge? Because that's the best shape for cutting. So the final cause is like what determines everything else involved. Sorry, the final cause is sharpness or cutting? In this case, the final cause is to make something that can cut. Right, okay. But more generally, the final cause is the proper function of something or the proper purpose of it like what's it supposed to do? What's it for? What is what's the benefit of it? Right. Yeah. And Aristotle thought that if you want to give a scientific explanation of something, you need all four of these causes. Like he's on the right track here, for sure. <laughs> well, at the time, well this is interesting because at the time his contemporaries really disagreed with him. His contemporaries were saying, okay, so maybe like these four causes are true about making a knife, but they're not true about like stuff in nature, like a tree, right? Like a tree grows from a seed. Why do the tree grow from the seed? It seems all you need to explain that are the material and the formal cause. The material causes the seed, right? It takes in water and sunlight, and then it grows into its final form as the tree. There isn't some tree spirit that's guiding the tree's growth according to the principles of tree growing. Right.
0: My first thought is I've seen some some Japanese art where it is definitely there's some sort of tree spirit that's making it grow, right? <laughs> that's not like
1: a completely unheard of idea. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> in a way, it's pretty like they probably felt pretty smart saying that there weren't any tree spirits. They probably felt very scientific.
0: God, so disconnected from nature. These Greeks are <laughs> these Macedonian
1: scum. <laughs> yeah. So, so Aristotle, but he he thought of a pretty good way to defend his argument. So he used the example of teeth in animals. So suppose you're an opponent of Aristotle. You don't believe that there are efficient and final causes. Okay. How do you explain why animals grow teeth? Well, they might say animals grow teeth because their bodies create the material of teeth and the material grows into a certain form. And that's it. But Aristotle was like, no, 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 this doesn't make sense. Because it fails to explain... Why certain organisms always tend to grow the same kind of tooth? Riley, really think about it. What kind of teeth do cows have? White, <laughs> white and hard. <laughs> what? Uh,
0: what shape? What shape? Same way you describe <laughs> this guy right here. Um, yeah, they're uh, you know they're they're like extensions of
1: bone. Okay, are they? Do cows have sharp teeth or like flat, broad teeth? They have grinders. Grinders. Yeah. They've got flat. They got flat broad teeth, like our molars in the back of our mouths are molars. Right. But what kind of teeth do, like, lions have? Fucking fangs, mate. Fangs. Yeah. Like sharp, pointy teeth. Sharp,
0: right? <laughs> They're long. They're fucking sharp. They curl a little bit. Cu- they get you right in the, in
1: the jugular. Exactly. And you're bleeding out. You're bleeding out. So you know you're bleeding out, mate. <laughs> I'll never forget. What's his name? Steve Irwin. I'm visiting Komodo Island. It's like one boy and you bleeding <laughs> out. <laughs> <laughs> one boy and you're
0: bleeding out. <laughs> Who would have guessed a fucking stingray would get that guy? That is just oh, terrible. What a tragedy. <laughs> Man, this world is so unpredictable. So unpredictable.
1: Yeah. Okay, so so Aristotle's like, okay, if there are no final and efficient causes in nature, then the fact that tigers always grow sharp teeth and cows always grow flat teeth is just a coincidence. And you're saying basically that these these teeth are just happening to always grow in the same way and that it's totally unrelated to their teeth having a proper function. Right. And Aristotle thought this was just stupid.
0: So they they obviously had very limited knowledge of evolution at this point. Oh,
1: they didn't know they didn't know anything about evolution. Darwin's not for a long time.
0: They had to have like some
1: inkling that like okay, there's something going on here. <laughs> okay, well, act, well in, a, in a sense, Aristotle's explanation for things are a little not Darwinian, right? Because we'll, we'll see, we'll explain it, right? He's basically, he's, he's thinking about animals in the same way that he's thinking about tools. Right. Right, like they have, they, they are designed for a purpose. So he's saying that like teeth grow in the way that they do so that they can serve a proper function. And the proper function is to help the animal to flourish. Right. Yeah. So like there's a connection between what kind of food the animal needs to eat and the kind of teeth that it needs to process that food. Right. So cows need to eat plants. So their teeth are like a flat grinder tooth that can eat plants. Tigers can't survive if they have flat teeth because they need to bite things and like rip rip the meat off of them and stuff. So for Aristotle, he's like. Why do tigers grow sharp teeth? Well, it's so they can eat meat. And then there's some process that guides the growth of their sharp teeth into a certain shape. Yeah. And it has to be a certain hardness. So his explanation goes backwards from the purpose of the thing all the way back. And he's like, well, that's how you explain teeth. So I don't know if that's really a Darwinian explanation because evolution is sort of like this blind process of trial and error. Yeah, yeah. But it is true and that it's it's linked in that like the stuff that works is the stuff that survives.
0: That you see. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. The stuff that works well is the stuff that prevails whether they knew it was over like millions of years of trial and error or not, the end result is what it is. Yeah. And that
1: sharp teeth are good for killing. Yeah. The the problem is though is that Aristotle's argument is like it's like made for people who love intelligent design. Right, because they can just be like, "Oh, like why is the tiger like this?" Oh, it's because God designed the tiger in this way so that everything works. I know, but that that's so dumb. Because like there
0: are better ways to kill things than teeth, even if you are an animal. Like God could have given the tigers laser eyes or or grenades. Like they could spit grenades out. He can do anything, right? He's God. Why not? Why not shoot a grenade out of their mouths?
1: Why not let them shoot the array of death from their claw?
0: Yeah. That's like, you know what a dragon that can breathe fire? If that existed, I'd be like, that, that, that's now we're talking something. Someone with a, an idea <laughs> cut the bullshit and said, Let's just make this thing the most efficient killer out there. Right. <laughs> yeah. Took that extra step that evolution couldn't make. Yeah. If, I, if I'm seeing an animal produce fire out of its mouth, then I believe in God. That's what I'm saying.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, that's what uh, Morgoth did, right? He made dragons as a killing machine in uh, Silmarillion. Oh, guy, okay. I got to brush up on my Tolkien history. Oh, dude. Can you imagine if they do? You know Amazon is adapting the Silmarillion, right? Into a TV show.
0: Okay. When you said that, I literally thought of the forest. <laughs> <laughs> The Amazon has become intelligent. And you're like, dude, did you know that Amazon is adapting? And I was like, what? <laughs> what? What's it doing? Is it making some crazy dragons in there?
1: <laughs> it's making dragons to fight the logging companies.
0: <laughs> well, isn't Amazon making like a huge Lord of the Rings series?
1: Yeah, that's what it is. It's an adaptation of the Silmarillion. <sighs> yeah. It has like a it has a billion dollar budget. That's nuts. And people are mad at Jeffrey
0: Bezos. He's giving us exactly what we want. (laughs) Yeah. Besides bathroom breaks, but don't work for (laughs) him. Yeah. Yeah. Quit your job. Yeah. Someone's got to work for him. Someone's got to deliver that shit. He's getting ready for he. He's trying to like streamline the scheduling to like be prepared for only robots working for him that don't need to go to the bathroom. So like,
1: oh yeah, there's yeah.
0: Unfortunately, the current employees are trying. They're trying to iron out the and fine tune the schedule to maximize efficiency, but bathroom breaks aren't aren't included in that equation. So <laughs> they got to make two.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it seems like his whole business model is like right now the employees are humans, but yeah. As soon as he can replace them with robots, it's going to be this seamless transition. Yes. Where you just, you just fire all the people. And-, and Those motherfuckers don't need to pee, so yeah.
0: that's what he's preparing for. Yeah. And he's also making sure that if he needs to, he can get the hell off this rock before his robots take over and kill everyone. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Seriously. Yeah. Okay, so, so we've, we've gone over sort of Aristotle's ideas. So now let's, let's look at, like, there's an objection to Aristotle.
0: There's an objection to every single philosophical idea you've ever posed on this podcast. Yeah. That's what I've
1: learned. Yeah. Not all of them work. Like this one you're going to see doesn't work. Can we just run it through real quick? I want to know the four um Okay, yeah, let's wrap wrap up the four causes. Yes. So, the first is the material cause. Okay. What material undergoes change? Iron. Let's do the let's keep it with the knife. Keep it with the knife? Okay.
0: The material that undergoes change is iron, right? Right, so we're looking at a block of iron.
1: Yeah. And then uh, we see that the next day it has become a knife. So what caused it to become a knife? Okay. So according to Aristotle, what caused the iron to become a knife was that the proper purpose of a knife is to cut. Okay. Now let's run through the explanation of that. That caused it to become a knife? That's what caused it. That's the why. That's the why the knife exists, so that it can cut. The knife exists so it can cut. Okay.
0: That's why any knife exists. Yes. I mean, if you think of it that way, any knife exists because it was someone needed to cut something.
1: Right. For Aristotle, a causal explanation is explaining why something is the way that it is. Why does it exist? So it, so it can cut. Okay. So there's four kinds of causes. The first, the most basic, is the material cause. What material underwent the change? In this case, it was the iron. Yeah. What was the, for, the formal cause? So what form or shape is it supposed to be? Thin, long. Long, thin, sharp on one edge. The efficient cause. What was the force of the change?
0: The hammer and heat?
1: The hammer and the heat in accordance with the principles of blacksmithing. Right, 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 right. So it's the knowledge of blacksmithing that is like, the knowledge of blacksmithing manifested causes, is the primary force of change. Right. And then the final cause. What is like the master cause? And that is, what was the purpose of the change? To cut. To cut, exactly. So we got material, formal, final. What's the third one? Efficient.
0: Efficient. Yeah. Material, formal, efficient, final. Boom. Suck on that. Let's go. (laughs) Let's go, Alexander the Great. That's all we need to know. (laughs) Yeah. Let's go fuck
1: Cleopatra. <laughs> <laughs> Again, wrong, wrong century. But yeah. He can do it. <laughs> he needs to believe. <laughs> <laughs> believe in yourself. He did conquer Egypt. He didn't die. He went back in time. Yeah. So Aristotle, he didn't think that everything had all four of these causes, right? So like a lunar eclipse, Aristotle would say there's no final cause for a lunar eclipse. There's no purpose. There's no purpose for a lunar eclipse. Right. But anyway, all right. So let's look at a quick objection. So, this objection was by an Arabian philosopher named Al Ghazali. Okay. Uh, I think in the 11th or 12th century AD. So, this is, over, this is like a thousand years later. Oh, man. That's a long, that's a good long time before there's
0: like an official objection to one of your ideas. Yeah. That's a good, good time. And
1: it's, it's a terrible objection.
0: Oh, there you go. <laughs> Imagine saying something like insulting someone and then a thousand years they come back with a weak comeback.
1: Yeah. <laughs> a weak diss track, like Machine Gun Kelly or something, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so philosophers like Al Ghazali notice that, that Aristotle's explanations have this sort of necessity in them. And that the necessity is that it's necessary for the knife to be composed of certain matter in a certain form according to certain principles. It's like you can't have a knife if it isn't like going to cut like a knife like it has to be made of certain things there's necessity
0: cuts like a knife
1: yeah yeah it's not it cuts like a uh, bowling ball okay yeah exactly it's like um yeah if you want to make something that can cut you're not going to make a bowling ball that's a perfect analogy you're going to make a knife and so there's necessity if then that's not a knife <laughs> that's a bowling ball yeah. <laughs> exactly <laughs> I mean, if you like zoom in enough on a knife with a microscope, it will start to look like a bowling ball. But anyway, so Al-Ghazali, right? So Al-Ghazali argued that if something is necessary, then it is a contradiction to deny it. However, Al-Ghazali says that things in nature, in medicine, in art, they all could have been otherwise if God had willed it to be so. (laughs) Okay, here's a quote from Al-Ghazali. Quote, for example, the quenching of thirst and drinking, satiety and eating, burning and contact with fire, light and the appearance of the sun, death and decapitation, healing and the drinking of medicine, the purging of the bowels and the using of a purgative and so on. Purgative? Like a, di- like a, uh, stuff that you drink and makes you shit. Laxative? Laxative, yeah, laxative. Or a vomiting inducing thing. God, I love how he brought shitting into the equation and so on, include all that is observable among connected things in medicine, astronomy, arts, and crafts. Their connection is due to the prior decree of God who creates them side by side, not to its being necessary in itself, incapable of separation. On the contrary, it is within divine power to create satiety without eating, to create death without decapitation, to continue life after decapitation, and so on, to all connected things. The philosophers denied the possibilities of this and claimed it to be impossible. And so, by the philosophers, he means Aristotle and his students.
0: God, throwing some shade over there, eh? I <laughs> yeah. like this a yeah. little beef, little ancient beef. <laughs> right. So, so can you like can you summarize this point in like a less? I mean, these fucking people with their
1: word, they're so wordy. Mm-hmm, yeah, so wordy. So let's let's think about it like this, right? Um, so let's suppose Al Ghazali, right? He's saying that there's no necessary connection between burning and fire. For example, like God could make it so, like take the Old Testament story about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego,
0: right? Oh, that's gonna. I'm legit. If I happen to have triplet sons, that's <laughs> their names. I don't care what people say. Hell yeah, they're gonna have
1: the most. Are those Jewish names? I, I don't know, honestly. They were in the Babylonian captivity, so there might be Babylonian names. Okay, I, I, it, just, it just rings off the tongue as
0: like just a classic, like trio of just of just you know couple rascals. I guess three. Rascals. I mean,
1: three is what I'm thinking of three brothers.
0: Yeah, three brothers getting into some trouble. Yeah. And one of those things <laughs> is a burning furnace.
1: Yeah, right. So Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, he throws Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fiery furnace, but They were unburned. So Al-Ghazali thinks that... Allegedly. Allegedly, right? But Al-Ghazali is clearly very religious, and he needs an explanation for miracles. Right. So Al-Ghazali thinks that God can accomplish this miracle because there's no necessary connection between fire and a burning human body. So it is not the case to say that a naked human being unprotected by any sort of fire retardant would not burn if they were thrown in a fiery furnace it is possible, you can imagine, that they would not burn.
0: Yeah, we have exactly one report not confirmed that that
1: proves. <laughs> yeah, so Al-Ghazali is basically committed to saying that God can accomplish this miracle without really changing anything about humans and fire. He can just simply decree that they shall not burn. Now, it's inter- this is like an interesting idea because it forces us to think about concepts. So if you have a very loose conception of humans and fire, you could sort of imagine that, yeah, like God could just say, oh, look, they're not going to burn. And then they don't burn. Just like magic or a miracle. Yeah. But if, if you have a rich conception of humans and fire, then it's much harder to imagine that. So like to make it simpler, think of like a piece of wood and fire. If you have a very rich conception of wood, it's like impossible to imagine that putting a piece of wood into a raging furnace and the wood won't burn it just seems like the chemical composition of the wood and the fire just seem to like guarantee that it will burn like you'd have to change the laws of physics
0: yeah or you'd have to like severely protect that piece of wood from the fire somehow
1: yeah or yeah you'd have to like change the actual dry wood if you put a piece of dry
0: wood in a fire it will burn 100% of the time that's what's up
1: yeah so that that's what it seems to be right like for it not to burn you'd have to actually change The composition of the wood into something that doesn't burn. But in that case, it's not really wood anymore, is it? No. All right. So if God actually has to make these changes, like, I mean, that's still pretty miraculous on its own. But then in a sense, he's not, it's not the case that, uh, that wood doesn't burn in a fire because we're not really talking about wood anymore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that argument isn't really, doesn't seem very successful. But, and we can end the episode here. This idea of the necessary connection is actually exactly what David Hume attacks in his onslaught against causation. Really? Exactly. Yeah.
0: David Hume, oh, okay, so he's coming in and saying that although this guy, what's his name? The, the uh, Al Ghazali? The guy coming out of Aristotle? Yeah,
1: Al Ghazali. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So David Hume's going to
1: come in and back him up in a sense. Well, he's going to um, he's going to do a similar sort of well. He's going to attack the notion of necessary connection itself, but he's going to attack the idea that he's going to say that we don't we cannot form a rational argument in defense of necessary connections. Fucking David Hume shaking up the game again, hey? Yeah, he's he's going to say that we we don't learn about necessary connections from our own experience of the world. So ba- I think basically his ar- well I'll do more research, but I think basically his argument is that all of our knowledge is derived from experience. Mm-hmm. We don't derive any knowledge of necessary connection from experience. Therefore, we have no knowledge of necessary connection. So any any talk that we make about necessary connection is pure speculation. There's no rational argument.
0: Okay, so I'd love to him I'd love to hear his explanation on the wood burning thing that we talked about.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's one of those things where you're like, you know he's wrong, but you just or like you feel like you know he's wrong, but That's how
0: it, that's why it pisses me off. Is like he he's making sense, but it's just not practical fucking He just like uses language to take a point and he just manipulates it to a like where of course, sort of logically he's making sense, but practically
1: it's complete bullshit. Well he has another explanation. There's people today who Who think that like Hume is kind of right, and that Hume had this famous quote where he said, "Reason is the slave of the passions."
0: Fucking Hume heads, man! bunch of Hume heads spouting their
1: bullshit. Yeah, simping on the Hume. (laughs) Well, yeah, like the the Humean idea is that like, yeah, we don't have knowledge of necessary connections because it's impossible for us to have knowledge of this, but we just sort of have to act like it's true. Yeah. Even though we don't really have a rational explanation for it. Well, that'll be next episode. Is that the plan here? That'll mean yeah, next episode we'll talk about Hume, his attack on causation, and then the episode after that will be Kant, Emmanuel Kant's response to Hume, which will Emmanuel Kant's response to Hume is like one of the most mind blowing things you'll ever you'll ever read. So that'll be fun. That'll be fun. Well, I
0: can't wait to hear it. Um, if you guys were mad about what I just said, you can write us at tpspodcast420 <laughs> at gmail.com, tps420 at gmail.com with all your questions, concerns, insults. I don't know. You want to chuck a few dollars our way, a couple <laughs> cents here, a couple of bucks. We're going to both split a prime time grape with that. <laughs> Next time I see you, Sam. time. And, uh... Don't ever give Humes props Is my final message. Humes is the dick. He's the dick of the philosophy world.
1: Uh, awesome.
0: All right. Y'all have a good night.